Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 182 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news that Meta could shut down Facebook and Instagram in Europe and the UK during 2022 because of constraints placed on it by GDPR. We then have news that in London, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office has been hit by a cyber attack. And we then have an article which should be of interest to pretty well everyone with a website, because it's been established through a court in Germany that using Google Fonts API is in breach of GDPR. On a similar line, we then have news that CNIL, the French regulator, has followed Austria in finding that Google Analytics breaches GDPR. And we then return to the UK where Optinist subsidiary Parasol data breach has affected the payment to UK IT contractors. We then travel to Merseyside where Whitby High School in Ellesmere Port has had a data breach. And we then travel to Sarasota in Florida where Beetle I has had a data breach. Then remaining in the USA, we have news that Puma, the sportswear brand, has had its employee data affected by a data breach. And we then travel to Portugal, where Vodafone Portugal has been affected by a cyber attack. We then travel to Canada, where settlement has been reached after the Desjardins data breach. And we then travel to Croatia, where Telecom's operator A1 Havata has had a data breach. We then return to the UK, where the High Court has given further guidance on distress-only damages claims under GDPR. We then have news that Amazon has closed down the Flexbooker web bucket after a data breach. And we then travel to Puerto Rico, where Emirata has agreed a data breach settlement. And then to Myanmar, where Telenor Myanmar customers have lodged a GDPR complaint to stop the company from being sold. We then return to the UK, where we look at GDPR and the journalistic exemption. We then travel to Moldova, where they've now implemented their own version of GDPR. And then finally this week, we travel to Brussels, where the EU Ombudsman has opened an inquiry into GDPR monitoring in Ireland. So as always, a wide range of articles for you this week. We hope that you find the information in the articles useful and informative. We always really value your feedback. So if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, but unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. We are exhibiting a business revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Come along and say hello. We begin this week with news that in light of the SREMS 2 decision issued in July 2020 and the European Commission's adequacy decision for the EU-US Privacy Shield framework being made invalid and that the SREMS 2 judgment found that US surveillance measures interfered with what are considered fundamental rights under EU law, i.e. the rights to respect for private and family life, including communications and the protection of personal data. Following SREMS 2... Almost all transatlantic companies have re-evaluated their policies and practices surrounding the transfer of personal information out of the EU and the safeguards under GDPR that they rely on for those cross-border data transfers. While there's been some guidance, there's currently no replacement for the EU-US Privacy Shield and US surveillance practices remain a problem under GDPR. Since then, we've also had the examples which we mentioned to you last week about Google Analytics and this week about Google Fonts, again causing this difficulty between European operations and the US. 
And this is putting all big US tech companies in a tough situation. So perhaps it shouldn't be too much of a surprise to learn that this week, Meta's taken a different stance. Meta, of course, being the new name for Facebook and its associate companies such as Instagram. In its annual report on Thursday, it is considering shutting down Facebook and Instagram in Europe if it can't keep transferring data back to the US. The annual report states on page 9, In August 2020, we received a preliminary draft decision from the Irish Data Protection Commission, the IDPC, that concluded that Meta Platforms Ireland's reliance on standard contractual clauses in respect of European user data does not achieve compliance with GDPR and proposed that such transfers of user data from the European Union to the United States should therefore be suspended. We believe a final decision in this inquiry may issue as early as the first half of 2022. If a new transatlantic data transfer framework is not adopted and we are unable to continue to rely on standard contractual clauses or rely upon other alternative means of data transfers from Europe to the United States, we will likely be unable to offer a number of our most significant products and services, including Facebook and Instagram, in Europe, which would materially and adversely affect our business, financial condition and results of operations. Now, some in Europe have said this is Meta attempting to blackmail the regulators into making a decision which rules in Meta's favour. But in our opinion, the statement doesn't read like that. It just really is a matter-of-fact statement. It's stating that if they can't reach agreement, and if the EU continues to say that standard contractual clauses don't cover Facebook's transfer of data, then Facebook will simply shut down its UK operation and its EU operation. Doubtless this is a story which is going to continue to develop during 2022, so whenever we have an update, we'll bring it to you right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To London now, and the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, the FCDO, was the target of a serious cybersecurity incident, forcing it to seek urgent support to deal with the emergency. The UK government revealed it just in the incident in a public tender announcement. The contract award notice revealed that the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office paid BAE Systems Applied Intelligence £467,325.60p after it was hit by a serious cybersecurity incident. Further details have not been disclosed. In response to the incident, it said that urgent support was required to support remediation investigation. The date conclusion of the contract was 12th of January 2022, while the tender details were published on the 4th of February 2022. BAE Systems was the only tender received, as the FCDO was unable to comply with the time limits for the open or restricted procedures or competitive procedures with negotiation due to the urgency and criticality of the work. The awarded supplier is the authority's long-term incumbent service management integrator and as such had resources on site with significant knowledge and understanding of the authority's infrastructure, said the tender. A foreign Commonwealth and Development Office spokesperson said, We do not comment on security but have systems in place to detect and defend against potential cyber incidents. Although the ICO originally said that it had not been contacted by the FCDO about the incident, a spokesperson later said, We are aware of media reports in relation to this matter and we are making inquiries. The BBC later reported that unidentified hackers had got inside FCDO systems but had been detected and stopped. Given the growing global tension, it's likely that cyber attacks are going to become more prevalent, especially against government departments. And of course, it turned into Ukraine. The Ukrainian government launched an investigation in January after its websites were taken down in a cyber attack. Messages appeared on the websites before they went down, warning Ukrainians to be afraid and prepare for the worst. 
We reject news of any other significant cyber attacks affecting government departments here in the UK or indeed across Europe. We will, of course, bring them to you right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. If you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, then you'll remember that back in episode 178, we brought you news about a German court finding and that a website using Google Analytics was in breach of GDPR because of data transfer to the USA. Well, this week, a court in Munich in Germany ruled that a website owner should have to pay injunctive relief and damages of €100 for violating GDPR simply because it uses Google hosted fonts and it awarded this hundred euros because to use the fonts the website owner had passed the visitor's IP address to Google so that the font would appear and that's probably standard if you use Google fonts from Google sources and not embedded in your own server or your own website. The court ruled that because it was possible to use the fonts without connecting to Google then using the fonts connected to Google and exposing the visitor's IP address was a violation of GDPR. In its judgment, the court said the defendant violated the plaintiff's right to informational self-determination by forwarding the dynamic IP address to Google when the plaintiff accessed the defendant's website. The automatic transmission of the IP address by the defendant to Google was an inadmissible encroachment on the plaintiff's general personality rights under data protection law, since the plaintiff in this encroachment was undisputedly not in accordance with Section 13, Paragraph 2, Old version, Article 6, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph A of GDPR regarding consent. Doodle Fonts Frequently Asked Questions discloses that the data collection under a section about user privacy and states that it caches responses to minimise requests and serve the fonts faster. It does not specify exactly what data is collected, but seems to imply that information it collects is necessary to serve the fonts. The Doodle Fonts API is designed to limit the collection, storage and use of end-user data to only what is needed to serve fonts efficiently, Google says. The German court's ruling threatens a fine of €250,000 for each case of the infringement or to be six months' imprisonment if the site owner does not comply and continues to provide Google with IP addresses through their use of Google Fonts. Now, worldwide, it's known that more than 50 million websites use the Google Fonts API. Many site owners may not even realise that they're using them. In consideration of those who may be subject to European courts, WordPress plugins and themes that use Google Fonts should offer a user-friendly option to self-host the fonts. If you want to continue to use Google Fonts in a more privacy-respecting way, there are tutorials for self-hosting the fonts available on the internet. This is a very serious ruling with widespread implications, and so we would recommend to anyone who's using Google Fonts on their website, or if you're not sure if you're using Google Fonts, then either check yourself or ask your web developer to check. And if you are using Google Fonts, then make sure that you're hosting them locally and not via the Google API, because with this precedent now set, of course, it's likely that other people will try to sue for damages against you because you're transferring their IP address to Google. This is a really urgent action, so please do take action on this in the coming week. We've reached out to Google for a comment, and if we hear back from them this week, we will, of course, bring it to you in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Following on from the previous article, and just weeks after the Austrian Data Protection Authority's ruling that Google Analytics violated the EU GDPR, France's CNIL has reached a similar decision. The rulings are the first, stemming from 101 complaints filed by the adversary group NOYB through EU member states following the Strems 2 decision that invalidated the EU-US privacy shield in July 2020. 
In its decision, CNIL said data collection and transfers to the United States using digital analytics are illegal, violating Article 44 GDPR. CNIL ordered an unidentified French website manager to bring its processing into compliance with GDPR within one month and stop using the service under current conditions if necessary. CNIL said transfers to the United States are currently not sufficiently regulated and the absence of an EU-US adequacy decision presents a risk for French website users to use this service and whose data is exported. The authority noted additional measures taken by Google to regulate Google Analytics data transfers are not sufficient to exclude the accessibility of this data for US intelligence services. CNIL said its investigation also extends to other tools used by sites that result in the transfer of data of European internet users to the United States, adding corrective measures in this respect may be adopted in the near future. Max Rems, who of course started all this off, believes other authorities will decide similarly to the French and Austrian DPAs. In the long run, we either need proper protections in the US or we will end up with separate products for the US and the EU, Srems said in a written statement. I would personally prefer better protection in the US, but this is up to the US legislator, not to anyone in Europe. We have, of course, been waiting quite some time for a replacement for the EU-US Privacy Shield. It's known that EU regulators are working on such a proposal with the US, and it's surely to be hoped by everyone that this time the proposed solution, or the solution which is finally reached, is SREMS-proof, because we've had the SREMS ruling and the SREMS-2 ruling, both of which have served to invalidate the current framework, and so it would be hoped that it's not possible for that to happen to the coming framework. Ultimately, it's an issue which is in the hands of the European Commission and the US State Department. So we hope that they can both reach a conclusion sometime soon. And whenever we do have any updates, we will of course bring them to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. We are exhibiting at Business Revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. We will return to the UK now and contractors working for the Paracel umbrella company are querying why it's taken so long for news of the firm's data breach which is linked to a cyber attack on its systems five weeks ago to come to light. Paracel has confirmed the incident occurred and that it may have led to personal data of contractors becoming compromised. The attack, which happened in January 2022, prompted Paracel to proactively disable and remove its customer-facing systems from the web in the days that followed and has led to widespread disruption to the payday cycles of thousands of contractors across the UK. Paracel's parent company, Optionist Group, confirmed in an email to contractors on the 7th of February 2022 that its IT security team had uncovered evidence that some data had been copied and leaked online since the attack on the systems in January. The email, sent by Optionist Group CEO Doug Crawford, said the firm had been unable to ascertain the precise nature of the information contained in the leak, but it would notify its contractors and employees immediately if it emerged that their personal data had been compromised. We felt it was important to let you know about this development, and we can assure you that we will inform you as a matter of urgency should we uncover the personal data, which is likely to result in a high risk to you, has been leaked, the email added. As we go to broadcast, no further details about the amount or type of data compromised by the breach has been released by Optionist, nor is it clear how many contractors have been affected by the incident. In a statement, the company said, unfortunately, we're not able to provide more information at this stage, but would reiterate that our team of cybersecurity experts are working as quickly as possible on this investigation. As well as Parasol, the Optionist Group also owns and operates a number of contractor-focused accountancy firms, including Nixon Williams and SJD Accountancy. The group is collectively understood to provide services to around 28,000 contractors across the UK. One issue of concern is that only those contractors still currently under contract to Optionist have received this email from the CEO. 
When we queried whether contractors who have stopped working in recent weeks for option in this group should have been included in the data breach mail-out, the company said, We are investigating the precise nature of this information as a priority and communicating with those who may have been impacted. The company also said that it had partnered up with credit reporting firm Experian to provide contractors with a dedicated helpline that they can use to raise any queries they have about the data breach. However, many of the contractors are now calling for the firm to go the one step further and provide them with free access to Experian's paid-for credit monitoring and identity theft detection services in the wake of the data breach. When we have any further news on this from Optionist or indeed from the UK ICO, we will of course bring it to you in the next row of episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Alsmere Port in Merseyside now, and parents are being warned over a suspected data breach at their children's school. Dozens of parents have reported receiving scam emails this week from a sender pretending to be from the Whitby High School in Alsmere Port. The emails were sent to parents and guardians of current and former pupils at the store and contained a link which they were asked to follow. We have contacted the store and they've confirmed that they are investigating the data breach and the source of the emails. Parents from the store have taken to Facebook in a bid to warn others about the emails and urge them not to open the link. Posting a community group, one mum urged people to check the sender's email before opening any links or downloading any attachments. Another mum said they received a similar email posing it as a stall, but on closer examination, the sender address was based in the USA. A stall spokesperson said the stall was aware of the data breach and is currently investigating. Their advice was do not click on any links in the scam emails, do not reply to the emails or contact the senders in any way. If you clicked on a link in the email, do not supply any information on any website that may open and do not open any attachments that arrive with email. If you think you may have been compromised or associated with bank details, and or you may have lost money due to the fraudulent misuse of your cards, you should immediately contact your bank. If we get any update on this, either from the store or from the ICO, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Sarasota in Florida now, and news that... Beetle Eye, a marketing and CRM company, have had a data breach. It's understood that an unsecured Amazon S3 bucket was discovered containing the personally identifiable information of millions of people. Inside the bucket were 10 folders containing around 6,000 files and totaling over 1 gigabyte of data. While most, approximately 99% of the data, belongs to American residents, some information relates to people living in Canada. The researchers who discovered the breach said we know that Beetleye owns the misconfigured Amazon S3 bucket because of references to the company inside the bucket. Beetleye's clients include the Hilton, Sandiston Beach, the Marigot Bay Resort, Grand Junction, Colorado and Mars Partnership. Researchers said the personally identifiable information was publicly available to all internet users because the bucket had not been configured correctly. No password protection or encryption had been implemented to secure its contents. Exposed records contain several forms of personally identifiable information, including names, phone numbers, email addresses and mailing addresses. Researchers were also able to access answers individuals had given to survey questions. Specifically, this data relates to the leads of the companies using Beetleye's marketing automation platform, researchers said. In other words, the data exposed most likely belongs to potential customers of B2I's clients. Three different datasets, unnamed leads, goldenisles.com leads and colorado.com leads were found inside the bucket. Researchers estimate that the personally identifiable information of around 7 million unique users was exposed in the data breach. This estimate is based on a sample of roughly 0.124 gigabytes of CSV files taking duplicates into account, they said. 
After discovering the open bucket on September 9, 2021, Website Planet sent a responsible disclosure of the data breach to Beetleye and its parent company, Atlantis Labs, on the same day. The researchers also disclosed the breach to AWS and the USA Computer Emergency Response Team. We suggest Beetleye and companies in general always double-check their databases to make sure they're secure, they said. It's also advised that companies assess the security of their databases at regular intervals. We've reached out to Beetleye for a statement, but at the time of joint broadcast, we've not received anything back from them. If we do receive something, we will, of course, bring it to you at the earliest possible opportunity. In episodes 170 and 175 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we brought you details of the ransomware attack by Tronos. And this week, it's emerged that Puma has been affected by the data breach. Sportswear manufacturer Puma has reportedly suffered a data breach after a Tronos ransomware attack. The attackers stole the personal information of Puma employees and their dependents from the Tronos private cloud. The data breach notification Puma has been filed with several Attorney General offices in February. Following the attack, a Kronos customer said they had to roll back to using paper and pencil to monitor timekeeping and also to manually write checks. Letters have been sent to people affected by the Puma data theft on February the 3rd. In the letter, it explained that Kronos was performing a competent review of the affected environment to find whether personal information of several Puma employees was among the data affected. Kronos on 7th of January 2022 confirmed that some of the personal information was among the stolen data and Puma had been informed about the incident on 10th of January 2022. Puma had been contacted and were keen to stress that the information affected related only to employee data and that no customer data had been involved. They said employees affected by the data breach have been given two years of free Experian Identity Works membership, which includes credit monitoring, identity restoration and identity theft insurance. Kirsten Newber. Puma's senior head of communications in a statement has confirmed that no customer data was affected by the data breach. We are exhibiting at Business Revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. To Portugal now, and Vodafone's Portuguese unit said on Tuesday that a hacker attack overnight had disrupted its services but assured its customers that their personal data had not been compromised as a result of the incident, which is under investigation. Vodafone Portugal said in a statement that thousands of customers had reported they were unable to make calls or access the internet on their phones or computers. It later discovered the technical issues were caused by what it described as a deliberate and malicious cyber attack. There's no evidence customer data has been accessed or compromised, it said. An in-depth investigation of the Criminal Act will continue for an indefinite period with the involvement of the competent authorities. The attack on Vodafone came a month after the websites of one of the Portugal's biggest newspapers and of a major broadcaster were hacked. Both media organisations remain unable to access their websites. Vodafone Portugal said it was determined to restore normality of service and mobile use was gradually recovering. The 4G network remains unavailable, but customers in most of the country can use 3G. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Back in episodes 80, 123 and 175 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we brought you details of the data breach at Desjardins. And this week, a data breach settlement was pre-approved by the Superior Court of Quebec in Canada. A total of 4.2 million members and 137,000 business clients were affected by the data breach way back in 2019. The Superior Court of Quebec pre-approved a settlement agreement between the Desjardins Group and the plaintiffs represented by law firms Sistins, Demuse and Kudler-Kandenstein on the 7th of February. 
The settlement, which is in connection to the privacy breach announced in June 2019, allows for a maximum amount of $200,852,500 to be paid out as individual recovery to eligible individuals who file a claim. These include current and former designated banking members, current and former clients with a credit card or in-store financing, or anyone who received a letter informing them of the situation. Those affected by the breach can file two types of claims under the settlement agreement. They can claim up to $90 Canadian dollars if they were impacted by the situation announced in June 2019, or up to 1000 Canadian dollars if their identity was stolen after the 1st of January 2017. In 2019, Desideen has announced that an unauthorised use of internal data by an employee has led to the breach of personal information of some 4.2 million members and 137,000 business clients, compromising their social insurance numbers, addresses and details of their banking habits. The Desideen Group is the largest association of credit unions in North America. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Croatia now, and Croatian phone carrier A1 Havasca has disclosed a data breach exposing the personal information of 10% of its customers, which is roughly 200,000 people. The announcement does not provide many details other than that they suffered a cyber security incident involving the unauthorised access of one of their user databases, which contains sensitive personal information. The type of information that has been accessed is understood to include full names, personal identification numbers, physical addresses and telephone numbers. A1 Havasca emphasises that the information on bank cards and online accounts has not been compromised as the access database didn't contain those details. This critical part was confirmed by a computer forensics team that investigated the incident and analysed the logs to determine what had been stolen. A1 Havasca says they're directly notifying customers whose information was exposed in this breach. Meanwhile, the Zagreb police have already received a criminal report and are investigating the attack. A1 Croatia takes this embarrassing situation extremely seriously and immediately after the first sign of the suspicion of unauthorised access to the user base, immediately and without delay prevented further unauthorised access and took additional protection measures, the company said in a statement. A1 Croatia adheres to the highest security standards and data protection and we will continue to make additional investments in improving the security environment. The recurrence of this security incident is not possible and has not had and will not have any effect on the provision of services to customers. A1 Havasta is a strategic partner of Vodafone, whose port store region, of course, suffered a very disrupted cyber attack, which we mentioned in an earlier article in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Strategic partners sometimes share online infrastructure, but in this case, the connection seems unlikely, even though it has not been completely ruled out. The incident doesn't appear to have affected A1 Havasta's services or operation, so it looks like a case of unauthorised access to a database, either through misconfiguration or stolen credentials. If we get any more information from A1 Havasta, we will just bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Back to the UK now, and the UK High Court has given further guidance on distress-only damage claims in GDPR cases. In Stadler v. Curries, the High Court awarded summary judgment against a claimant who alleged distress following an inadvertent data breach. In the judgment, Stadler v. Curries Group Limited 2022 EWHC 160QB, the High Court struck out all claims barred that for the breach of UK GDPR and transferred the matter to the County Court where it suggested allocations should be to the small claims track. Give a better background, the claim concerned a defective smart television which was returned to the defendant by the claimant for repair. A decision was made to write off the unit and it was sold on for repair and resale without the defendant performing a factory reset or a data wipe. The claimant's Amazon account was later used by a third party to purchase a film. The claimant brought proceedings for breach of UK GDPR, misuse of private information, 
breach of confidence and negligence, claiming that the apps which were logged in on the smart TV should have contained all the claimant's personal and financial details. The claimant claimed that as a result of the defendant's actions, they had suffered psychological distress, anxiety, loss and damage, which had been exacerbated due to the sensitive personal and financial nature of the data accessed by the third party. In recent its judgment, the court applied the recent Warren v. DSG retail decision finding that for misuse of private information and breach of confidence claims to succeed, wrongful use had to be made of information by the defendant in the form of positive action. In this case, the defendant had failed to take positive actions to prevent the misuse of private information or the breach of confidence. However, neither imposed a positive data security duty on the holder of the information. In the present case, the defendant was not making use of the data or information in passing the smart TV to a third party and there had not, therefore been no use of the information by the defendant. Applying the precedent from the Warren case to this case, the court also struck out an negligence claim on the basis that there is no need to impose a duty to on a data controller where already statutory duties, i.e. under the Data Protection Act 2018 and UK GDPR, and a state of anxiety falling short of clinically recognisable psychiatric illness does not constitute sufficient damage to be found for an action to be negligible. The court considered the UK GDPR claim had sufficient prospects to succeed to avoid being struck out. However, it found that the Supreme Court judgment in Lloyd v. Doodle that damages for non-trivial breaches under the Data Protection Act 1998 are not recoverable unless there's proof of damage or distress appeared to apply equally to claims under Article 82 of UK GDPR and noted another 2021 decision, Rolf v. Will Wasborough Vizards LLP, which confirmed that distress claims arising from fear of the unknown, feeling ill and losing sleep, worrying about the possible transfers of a data breach, were considered fall below the de minimis threshold for recoverability. So what in particular is there to be noted from this? After Warren, some claimant firms were seeking to argue that failure to take adequate security measures was sufficiently positive an act to be found a misuse of private information. This argument looks increasingly difficult in light of Stadler, which suggests that it is wrong to conflate the measures taken to protect private information with misuse of the information itself. So inadequate security measures will not be enough to found a misuse of private information claim as they do not involve the use of personally identifiable information. After Lloyd v. Doodle claimants have been arguing that the decision that damages for loss of control are not recoverable per se does not apply under claims under the Data Protection Act 2018 as opposed to the Data Protection Act 1998, which Lloyd considers. Whilst the court did not address this issue, it's willingness to read across the Supreme Court's findings about recoverability of trivial losses to a claim under the Data Protection Act 2018 suggests this argument may be difficult. Whilst there's still no definitive guidance on the level of quantum that's recoverable in small data breach claims, the court commented that this was a very low-value claim that might end up being worth just a few hundred pounds. And we're seeing this more and more, that this is becoming a common sort of level. We've had judgments from Germany where awards have been in the region of €100. And so hopefully it will set a level which can be just accepted by any one of us who work within the industry and save a lot of legal time by just reaching out to settlements which are around that figure. We are exhibiting a business revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. Back in episode 177, we brought in news of a data breach at Flexbooker. And this week it's emerged that Amazon has stepped in to close the exposed Flexbooker bucket after the data breach in December. If you have a bit of history, Flexbooker was using an AWS S3 bucket to store data but did not implement any security measures, leaving the contents totally exposed and easily accessible to anyone with a web browser. 
The 19 million exposed files included full names, email addresses, phone numbers and appointment details. In January, Flexbook have apologised for the data breach that involved a sensitive information of 37 million users. At the time, the company said a portion of its customer database had been breached after its AWS servers were compromised on December 23rd. Flexbook has said their system data storage was also accessed and downloaded as part of the attack. They added that they worked with Amazon to restore a backup and they were able to bring operations back in about 12 hours. We sent a notification to affected parties and have worked with Amazon Web Services, our hosting provider, to ensure that our accounts are resecured, a spokesperson said. We deeply apologise for the inconvenience caused by this issue. A few days after the breach was secured, hackers on the dark web were once again selling private data apparently owned by Flexbooker. It's not clear if this was from the previous breach or was a new breach. A Flexbooker spokesperson confirmed that no payment details were included in the information which had been stolen, but that the last three digits of card numbers were included, but not the full card information, the expiration date or the CVV. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Puerto Rico now, and Puerto Rico software company Immediator Health Group has agreed to pay $1.125 million to settle a class action lawsuit filed over a 2019 data breach. The protected health information of more than 1.5 million individuals was exposed in a security incident which was detected by Immediator in January 2019. Three months after the breach was discovered, the 20-year-old company began notifying individuals whose information may have been exposed in the attack. In a statement released on April 26, 2019, the company said that a web page setting that permitted search engines to index internal web pages that Immediator used for business operations had caused some electronic health information to be viewable online. Immediator provides clearinghouse services and a full suite of software and business process outsourcing solutions for health plans, hospitals, IPAs and independent physicians. Information exposed in the incident may have included some of Immediator's customers' patients' addresses, names, dates of birth, gender and medical claim information. For some patients, social security numbers may also have been involved. In April 2019, a class action lawsuit, Justice Serrano et al. versus Immediator Corps, an Immediator Health Group tour was filed on behalf of the victims. The lawsuit alleged that Immediator had neglected to implement appropriate security measures to protect individuals' health information. It also accused the company of being too slow to send out breach notification letters to impacted individuals. It appears that errors were made by Immediator's mailing vendor, which caused notification letters to be sent to the wrong patients. While Immediator has not admitted any wrongdoing in relation to the data breach, the company has opted to settle the case by setting up a $1.125 million fund to cover claims from the plaintiffs and class members. Under the terms of the agreement, all class members will be entitled to submit claims of up to $2,500 as reimbursement for documented out-of-pocket expenses incurred in relation to the data breach. Valid expenses include the trusted credit monitoring services, fees and any fraudulent charges on their accounts as well as three hours of time at a rate of $15 per hour. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com To Myanmar now and a Myanmar resident on behalf of 18 million Telenor subscribers in Myanmar has filed a complaint to the Norwegian Data Protection Authority against Telenor accusing the firm of violating the privacy of its Myanmar users. The complaint comes seven months after Telenor said it would sell its Myanmar business to Lebanese investment firm M1 Group, which has formed a partnership with a Myanmar enterprise with ties to the military government. 
The complaint was filed by Norway-based law firm Sands on behalf of Telenor's customers in Myanmar. Sands claims that Telenor's sale will involve the transfer of data harvested from customers in Myanmar and breaches GDPR. The complaint argues that the GDPR applies to the sale of Telenor's Myanmar subsidiary. We asked the Norwegian Data Protection Authority to investigate the case urgently and use its powers to ensure that the rights of Telenor's customers in Myanmar are not violated as this could have very serious consequences, Sands Privacy and Data Security Law Specialist said in a public statement. While GDPR mandates businesses to protect data that belongs to citizens and residents of the EU, it also applies to EU-based companies that control and process personal data outside of EU borders. But the former headquarters Telenor Group argues that even though it is the holding company of Telenor Myanmar, user data generated by customer activity in the Southeast Asian country isn't handled within the EU. Telenor Group also claimed it does not control how the data is processed. On July 8, 2021, Telenor agreed to sell its Telenor business in Myanmar to M1 Group for 105 million US dollars. Since then, rights groups have opposed the planned sale. Nearly 500 local civil rights groups have accused the firms of failing to prevent or mitigate adverse human rights impacts. Then on February 1st this year, nearly 170 local rights groups sent an open letter to Norwegian Prime Minister Honas Dastor requesting the Norwegian government to halt the deal. The group said in a statement that the sale could give the Myanmar junta direct access to sensitive user data which could be used to persecute, arrest and torture individuals who oppose military rule. Telenor's spokesperson said it is impossible for the company to remain in Myanmar, so the company is caught between adhering to local laws, upholding company values, and following international law and human rights principles. In such a severe and volatile security situation, there are no simple solutions. We have to balance several difficult considerations and have come to the conclusion that a sale is the least detrimental solution to our employees, customers and the community. In the sale process, assessments of human rights, privacy and the safety of our employees have been key considerations, the spokesperson said. The transfer of ownership is expected to be completed by February the 15th, with military-linked gemstone and petrol conglomerate set to become the major shareholder, with a 70% to 80% stake in Telenor Myanmar, per a local report by Myanmar Now on February the 4th, citing a source with knowledge of the deal. In January, Reuters reported that the Myanmar Junta had privately appointed a partnership between M1 Group and Shibian Fu, citing three clo- sources close to the matter. The Junta rejected the sale of Telenor Myanmar in 2021 when M1 Group was the sole buyer, but it endorsed the partnership between M1 Group and Shibian Fu, one source told Reuters, saying that the military government preferred the involvement of a local buyer. However, Telenor's spokesperson emphasised that the company is still awaiting regulatory approval for the sale of Telenor Myanmar to M1 Group. The 24th of January this year saw the close of the ICO's consultation on its new code of practice on journalism. The new code was statutory force, which means it will be admissible as evidence in court. Section 1 of the code deals with how to balance journalism and privacy and the application of the journalistic exemption. However, it clarifies that special purposes exemption is wider than the journalism exemption under the Data Protection Act 1998, as journalism is only one of the possible special purposes. Campaigning is repeatedly singled out as another example. The ICO also comments that the emphasis is on the independent judgment of the controller as to what is in the public interest, although being able to demonstrate this will be important, and particularly demonstrating that you have actively considered it. So where applied with a view to the publication of journalistic material, the journalistic exemption can cover any personal data processed with the intention of making it available to the public. Whether or not it will be eventually published is not relevant, 
and background information collected as part of a journalist's day-to-day material is also covered both before and after publication. Data posted as a result of a complaint with a view to printing a correction or retraction will be covered, but not if there's no possibility of a complaint affecting the publication. So how is it to be decided whether the journalistic exemption is to apply? Well, controllers can rely on the exemption if there's a reasonable belief that publication is in the public interest. And of course, it's always worth remembering that what is in the interest of the public is not necessarily what's in the public interest. Because, as always, it involves both a subjective and an objective assessment. The subjective element requires the controller to consider whether publication is in the public interest and form a view and preferably keep a record of what their decision was. The objective element is that the belief must be objectively reasonable, i.e. one a reasonable person could hold in the circumstances. It doesn't need to be the only, nor the most reasonable view, only that a reasonable person could hold that view. The ICO points to defamation law as for further guidance on what constitutes reasonable belief in the context of public interest. And the other thing to bear in mind here is it's not the journalists themselves, it's whoever their data controller is whose belief matters. Because although responsibility for decisions may be delegated to the relevant individuals, the decisions still rest with whoever is the data controller. Specific circumstances must also be considered. These include the likelihood and severity of any harm to individuals or other public interests, the nature of the information and the contribution it would be likely to make to the public interest, and whether the information is already in the public domain. This does not mean that public interest requirement is automatically satisfied if the information is already in the public domain. There will be a stronger public interest in publication where the publication adds to understanding or corrects misinformation, and a weaker one where publication would not greatly add to understanding. As we said, the important thing is the controller must be able to demonstrate that they did consider all the options and make a decision. The ICO says that this should not be an onerous requirement as most journalistic organisations already have suitable policies and procedures in place in accordance with industry codes which can be adapted to include data protection considerations. Again, the greater the likely impact of the publication, the more detailed record keeping should be and the higher the degree of scrutiny. It's recognised, of course, that this is always a question of judgment. Whether or not a journalistic exemption applies often involves nuanced decision-making. Journalists, editors and publishers should have processes and policies in place to help them apply the ICO and any other relevant guidance. We are exhibiting at Business Revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. To Moldova now, and on the 11th of November 2021, the Moldovan Parliament passed a series of legal amendments, Law 175-2021, including the existing law on personal data protection. Law 175-2021 entered into force on the 10th of January 2022 and partially transposes the European Union's GDPR. The most important change is that personal data controllers will no longer be obliged to submit prior notification which in essence was a registration application to the National Centre for the Protection of Personal Data. This will help controllers overcome the centre's formalistic approach when checking applications. Now, controllers are on their own, free to implement the measures as they deem adequate and sufficient to ensure compliance with Law 175-2021. As of the date of entrance into force of Law 175-2021, the register of controllers previously kept by the centre will cease to exist. Law 175-2021 does impose a mandatory impact assessment in the case of the type of processing, in particular using new technologies and taking into account the nature, scope, context and purposes of processing 
is likely to result in a high risk to the rights and freedoms of natural persons. Where such a data protection impact assessment indicates that the personal data processing would lead to a high risk, and the controller believes the risk cannot be mitigated by reasonable means, the controller will be obliged to consult the centre prior to initiating the respective personal data processing activity. Another novelty is the designation of a data protection officer. The cases where the controller is obliged to designate a data protection officer are similar to those listed in GDPR, i.e. where processing is conducted by a public authority or institution, activities consisting in processing operations requiring regular and systematic monitoring of data subjects on a large scale, and activities consisting in the processing of special categories of personal data. Under the new rules, cross-border transfer of personal data is generally permitted based on the principle of the free flow of personal data to any member state of the European Economic Area and to states that ensure an adequate level of personal data protection. The Centre is obliged to adopt and publish in the Official Gazette of Moldova the list of states ensuring an adequate level of personal data protection. So it's good to see yet another European country falling into line with GDPR and GDPR becoming a wider standard right across the European Economic Area. And finally this week we have news that the EU Ombudsman has opened an inquiry into GDPR monitoring in Ireland. The inquiry comes after an ICCL complaint against the EU Commission for neglecting its duty to act on Ireland's failure to properly apply GDPR. EU Ombudsman Emily O'Reilly has opened an inquiry into the European Commission's monitoring of how data protection rules are applied in Ireland. The inquiry comes after the Irish Council of Civil Liberties lodged a complaint with O'Reilly alleging that the Commission had failed to properly monitor the application of GDPR in the country. In the letter to Commission President Ursula von der Leyen yesterday, the 10th of February, O'Reilly said the inquiry is about whether the Commission has taken adequate steps to collect sufficient information about the facts. In November, ICCL senior fellow Jeremy Ryan lodged a formal complaint with O'Reilly claiming that the Commission has also neglected its duty to act on Ireland's failure to properly apply GDPR. The ICCL has long been critical of the Irish Data Protection Commission, the DPC, over how it's been handling GDPR complaints against big tech companies such as Meta, Google and Apple. The DPC acts as the EU's lead data supervisor for several major US technical players because they have their European headquarters in Ireland. Ryan said last year that Ireland had become a bottleneck of GDPR investigation and enforcement and the Irish DPC has failed to resolve 98% of the cases important enough to be of concern across the EU, a claim disputed by the DPC. The Ombudsman wants the Commission to look at the ICCL complaint because questions are bound to arise in the minds of citizens if different factual accounts circulate regarding the implementation of this important legislation. Public bodies, along with civil society organisations, report that the application of GDPR in Ireland is inadequate, whereas the Commission's recent reply to the complaint in this case appears to suggest there's no evidence of this, O'Reilly wrote. The Ombudsman has asked the Commission to provide a detailed and comprehensive account of the information it's collected so far around whether GDPR is applied in all aspects in Ireland. The Commission also must provide explanations of how and from what sources it gathered the information and the deadline to respond is the 15th of May 2022. When we get any update on this, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Until next time, bye-bye.